We've got Piccolo over here, 1805, <laughs> named after a short black, I think it is. Tully is out of a, um, her mum's a twin and she was born a month premie and her and her sister were the first calves we really battled to, to get going and successfully. We've still got her auntie, Tilly. So this is the Springer paddock. It's just the paddock right next to the house and these girls are all gearing up to have a calf. So we just position them right next to the house so that we can keep a really good eye on them so that as soon as they start to go into labour, we know. Hi, I'm Sam Loy and welcome to Propagate, a show for young farmers and fishers. This season, we're looking at farmers who run value-add businesses, a generation of growers focused on sustainability, regenerative land management, and closing the gap between producers and consumers. I think as, as business owners, there's so many little wins every day. We've learnt to really focus on the small things that contribute to the big picture successes. This is Emily Nielsen. She's a 31-year-old dairy farmer who loves her cows like they're her kids. Emily says when you wake up at the crack of dawn most days of the year, you've got to focus on your business successes. I'm really, really conscientious about the cell count of the milk, so the quality. And if I can keep it, if we can keep it under about 70, that for me is a huge win. And this is Emily's husband, Matt. He's 34. Okay, so we're on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. We're about 7 k's as the crow flies from the ocean, so we, we get that sort of coastal climate. We've got about 230 acres that we farm at the moment, and we run a fully pasture-based system, no sort of cropping as yet. And at this point, we're milking about 110 cows. Matt and Emily Nielsen met while working at another farmer's dairy about 14 years ago. It's taken them years to create their own beautiful farm on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. They are a bit different to your traditional dairy farmers. And that's because they don't own their land. They lease it. And without big capital behind them, they've had to think outside the box. And with dairy farming, for them it's come from a place of real kinship with livestock. So I fell in love with dairy farming really just by fluke. It wasn't my intention. It wasn't a plan. My only indication really was that I, I really liked horses and I didn't know much about them. So I went to Tokau College and studied agriculture. And I did the horse course, which is um, Cert 3 in horse husbandry. And as part of that, they make sure that they give you a, a week in every part of the farm. So I did a week in the beef section, in the sheep section, and then did a week in the dairy section. And I just fell in love with it. I really don't know what it was. It was just one of those things that made me feel like this is what I'm meant to do and this is where I want to be. Yeah, it wasn't even like a flow on from there, but ended up with a milking job on a dairy nearby while I was at college, purely out of desperation for an income. (laughs) as you are in college (laughs) and yeah ended up there for about four years and Matt was managing the property and yeah it's all (laughs) it's all history from there. (laughs) 
Matt's also had an affinity for agriculture almost all his life, and he grew up on the land. I think from a young age, I just, I don't know, something drew me to it. My dad worked on dairies when I was a little kid, and I always liked going around with him. And then I think I was in about year eight, mum and dad bought a 200-acre bush block, and I just loved it so much going up there that I thought, well, this is what I want to do. So... And because I'd always enjoyed the dairy side of it as a kid, that's what I sort of pursued. I grew up on a turkey farm probably from, I think I was in about year three when we moved there up until I think it was the year I finished. I finished in year 10. So we were there for, I think, seven or eight years. And yeah, just having that space around you, even though we weren't sort of working out in the paddock every day, it was just, it became what we were used to. So we both went to Tokal Agricultural College at Maitland. I did a certificate three in horse husbandry and started a certificate four but didn't finish, but ended up in the workforce and decided that I was more interested in going to work than, than continuing to study. Despite Emily's education at ag college and the fact that Matt grew up on a turkey farm, they say it was working on other people's properties that's given them the grounding and confidence to start their own. Oh, I definitely think you need to have a good couple of years working for other people just to get a good grounding and experience in the things that you're likely to come up against if and when you do go out on your own. And I also think that it's good to probably work for a few different people and just you know get a bit wider range of experience if you can. And you learn what sort of systems and what styles of farming you like, which ones you don't too. I think the biggest thing I learnt was that I actually really liked grazing cows. And so pretty early on, I decided that if and when I could get our own business happening, that that was the way we'd want to do it and just try to simplify it and grow as much of the food as we could and direct graze just to simplify things. I just think from a labour point of view and from a cost perspective, it's an efficient way to do it outside of the extreme years that you get, such as this year. It's made the grazing system a big headache this year, but Overall, I still believe that that's the way I want to do it. Yeah, I think we learnt because um, we've worked for a couple of people in a couple of different situations and we learnt what we didn't like about their different operations and took that away and thought, well, if we had our own business, what would we do instead of that? How would we run the business so that that frustration wasn't there? I think that was the main thing and learning how to look after cows properly. We worked with a lot of vets at a lot of the main dairy that we worked on. And that just taught us, you know, how to how to pick up on little things and say, well, this is the problem. This is how we're going to treat it. This didn't work. What are we going to try next? Or, you know, just have a, a plan of attack and a bit of an idea of how to fix different health issues that pop up because they just do, but also how to prevent them in the first place. So after an ag education and some on-the-job learning, Emily and Matt had the confidence to step forward in starting their own business. They've started small and have scaled up their business over the last seven years. So the first farm that we leased was 96 acres. We initially bought 77 cows, and that was all we had for three years. And over time, built the herd up to the point where we were milking 96 cows on 96 acres, which allowed us and pushed us to make the next step and find a bigger property to lease. I think there's a pretty big misconception out there that you have to be milking hundreds of cows to be... Profitable. profitable business where if you're happy to do it yourself to get a start, I honestly don't think that's the case. And if you can get a start 
no matter how small, and just you've just got to commit to it and work with it and grow. I think it is still possible to get a foot in the door. We went through some pretty horrendous seasonal conditions and then the milk price crashed not long after we started and even with, you know, at times we were down to 50 and 60 cows in milk, but we still managed to find a way to move forward. And if anything, we've probably found that those tougher times to a point the smaller you are and the more manageable it is the easier it is to pull through them yeah we've generally been understocked on the properties that we've had until you know we weren't (laughs) but it gives you more space it gives you more adaptability and we've always worked on the theory that having less cows producing more milk is much more efficient than going out and having hundreds of cows that are averaging 20 litres a cow in spring you know, because they, they're not getting enough feed, you're always going to be more profitable if you can not push those cows but just feed them properly and service their needs properly so that they're reaching their potential, not going backwards, not losing condition. And I think, too, starting on 96 acres, it doesn't sound like a large amount of land, but we hadn't grown grass before to the extent that we needed to to run a dairy farm. We had to learn how to do it. We had to learn how to manage weeds. We had to learn how to cultivate paddocks and how to apply fertilizer at the right rate so that it would grow, so that there was plenty of nitrogen, plenty of protein. We had to learn how to feed the cows properly in a way that, you know, made your grass go a long way but made the most of the pasture. And having a small area to do that on meant that we weren't trying to run around everywhere, try to do it on such a big scale, and we could just master it in the place that we were. So we ended up really good at running a small amount of land really intensively, really efficiently to make the most of it so that we could eventually grow our herd and milk more cows on a very small space. So when we moved farms, we were milking 96 cows on 96 acres. And then came the scary next step of scaling up. They're now on about 230 acres with a milking area of around 140 acres. And pretty soon, they'll be milking 150 cows And without family land or the capital to buy a farm, Matt and Emily had to think outside the box. So in December 2021, their business consultant let them know a lease opportunity for the farm they now live on was becoming available. So we were told by our consultant that we used that this farm was becoming available. And we were pretty desperate at the time because we were overflowing the vat every day and we had quite a few heifers to carve the coming month and we sort of thought we either have to sell some cows or we have to find a bigger property. So it was just lucky that the timing was just perfect. So we got the details for the owners and we rang them straight away and just said, you know, we'd like to have a look, come and meet you. And they were very open about the details. This has been a lease farm for 20 years, so they've been through the process multiple times. It was, you know, just something that was normal for them. But ultimately, we've got a lease contract that we're happy with. It's a term that we're happy with, so it's three years with the option of another two. And the option is for us. So if we want to go five years, we can go five years. If we wouldn't stick with three years, we can stick with three years. That's basically the process. There's a lot of back and forwards with solicitors and rubbish. Just (laughs) don't do it at Christmas time. (laughs) Yeah, we just think it's really important to get all the legalities ironed out. 
early on and it stops issues coming up later on. So that's preferably, one of the things that we would really recommend is that, you know. Preferably before you move to the property. <laughs> but it is certainly, you know, it needs to be a priority. Get those contracts sorted so you know what you're dealing with. Anything you're not quite happy with in the contract, push for it to be changed because it has to be a contract that benefits your business and benefits you personally. And if there's things in the contract that you think, oh, it just doesn't sit right with me, you know, and you, you mention it to your solicitor and she says the same thing or he says the same thing, it needs to be changed. The next part of the equation was securing a herd of milking cows. We weren't too sure where we were going to get the cows from initially. When we first started with the first lease farm, the initial idea was just to find 40 cows and just add from there because that was sort of the minimum we thought we needed to get rolling. It was pretty difficult at the time to find cows and we were just lucky enough to find a farm that the owners were retiring. So we approached them and went to have a look at the cows and we, we ended up buying the bulk of the herd, well, pretty much everything that was in milk, which was 70-something at the time. I can never thank them enough because they ended up doing a bit of vendor finance for us to help us buy the larger number of cows than we initially thought. So that really gave us a leg up. But yeah, it's definitely, I think, an advantage if you can find the bulk of the cows you need from one place and you know the background a bit better too. So it has to be either someone that's giving up and you buy their herd or if you're cashed up, you could go to a dispersal sale. That or you're or gonna... somebody with surplus heifers or cows. Yeah. But that's, yeah. Yeah, if it's an auction, you're, you're going to spend a lot of money to start up because there's competition trying to buy individual animals. So the average ends up much higher than buying the bulk of your cows from one place and this is the price per cow. It doesn't matter how old they are, how fresh they are, how stale, how if they're in calf, it doesn't matter they're all the same price so you're going to pay less and as someone starting up you've got to pay less (laughs) you can't go out and buy a hundred stud cows for you know four thousand dollars each like you just can't i think probably the best place to start is to ring the farm services officers from each of the milk companies because they generally know what's happening and what's coming up and that's how we found out about our herd it's Um, really difficult it's really word of mouth because Mm. um yeah generally even a dispersal they don't get advertised very far in advance. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to find a large number of cows and I suppose we just got lucky. So let's drill into the specifics. How much money did these guys need to get started? And what did they need to borrow from the bank? So we did up a budget, which looking back was like totally unrealistic as far as income. But we did it anyway. We took it to the bank and he was pretty happy with that. We said to him, we need $100,000. And he said, all right, have you thought about this, this and this? And we thought, said, oh, yeah, a bit more probably would be good. And then there's, you know, there's $10,000 worth of fees and charges and all that that you've got to borrow as well. So we ended up with $130,000 in our initial loan, as well as a $30,000 overdraft. That overdraft was our saving grace for about the first three years of business. So, yeah, I definitely recommend that. (laughs) Yeah, I just remember the milk money would come in. You only get paid once a month as dairy farmers. So the milk money would come in and it would pay off the overdraft because I'd paid everything from the overdraft already. But 
you know, it's barely enough. I remember having an income of like 17000 in a month and, you know, the expenses might be 35000 And that was just how it was. It was just we weren't quite making enough money from the milk because we hadn't quite figured out how to make the cows milk, like how to feed them properly. And that was a really steep learning curve, but, you know, it took a couple of years to really nail and the expenses are always there. But in our second year of business, we hit drought and our third year of business, we had the milk price drop. So it was just one thing after another and we just couldn't get ahead. So that overdraft just kept us rolling. So ultimately, as far as the bank loan goes, we haven't missed a payment once. We wanted to line it up with our first five years. So the first lease was five years on the property and we wanted the loan paid off in five years so that everything was lined up. It was finished. The lease was finished, all that sort of stuff. That didn't happen just because of the setbacks, climatic and income wise, but we will pay it off this year, which I think seven years is that's not too bad. And in that time, we've also managed to buy a brand new car, buy a brand new tractor, and all of that's going to be paid off this year. So I think, you know, I'm pretty happy with that. Seven years isn't a very long time. And I see it as, you know, it's success. It's we've got these assets and we started with nothing. And, you know, at the end of seven years, we will have managed to pay off pretty much everything which basically means that we can then take our business to another level with, you know, we can borrow money to buy implements that we haven't got that will make our lives easier and make the job more efficient. And I see it as good debt and certainly not more than the business can afford to pay. Yeah, I think considering everything we've had to contend with to get to where we are and go through all of that, I mean, one of the reasons that I picked dairy was because of the cash flow. Like, you can have some really bad months, but every day of the year we've got product leaving the farm. So it just it's a cash flow business and you've just got to manage your cash flow. And if you can do that, well, I think it really is. I honestly think it's probably one of, or if not the only enterprise you can still sort of start with not much and work your way up. So our business has turned a profit for the last two years. The first year was bloody amazing that it did that because we were in like it was the end of the drought and it never had been so bad we had no grass for months and all the cows had was hay and grain that's all they had to eat and the production was not great but it kept them ticking over but what it did do was kept condition on them so that when it did rain their production went up overnight We had heaps of steers that we just carried through the drought. So we just kept feeding them. And so many people just said, you need to get rid of them. And I said, well, we're going to get like 50 bucks or we're going to get a bill just for cartage because they're not going to sell. You know, what are we supposed to do? And they would say, just get rid of them. They're eating grass that the heifers should be eating. Not that there was much grass, but taking up space, eating grain, all those things are irrelevant. And we just persevered with them because it just didn't make sense to me to, to sell them at a loss when we carried them and carried them and carried them. And then when the drought broke, we sold them and they sold amazingly, amazingly, like if it was ridiculous. We didn't think we would get what we got. But it meant that, you know, we sold 10 or 15 of them and we bought Matt a travelling irrigator. So straight away it was an investment in assets and in tools and equipment that was making our job so much easier, making the business more efficient. So 
Yeah, I don't recommend carrying animals that you can't afford to feed, but that was just sort of what we did just because no alternative sort of popped up. And yeah, it meant that the business made a profit that year and it was the first time that it had made a profit. Since then, we've had a much higher milk price and we had a terrific season off the back of the drought. So that was that was a great year. And even with the wet, I think we've just, we reverted back to drought feeding in this wet period. We've fed the cows exactly the same. So it's like we've got this experience now and we can handle different situations based on what we've learnt through the climatic challenges that we've, we've had. And it means that the business stays profitable. I don't know about you, but I can feel the blood, sweat, tears and difficult decisions these guys have had to make through some tough years. Emily says, while it hasn't been easy, there's still so much joy in what they do. I think as business owners, there's so many little wins every day. We've learnt to really focus on the small things that contribute to the big picture successes. And the small things are like a couple more leaders in the vat at pickup or your heifers coming into the herd a couple of months younger because you've been able to grow them quicker and better and keep them fat and they've gone in calf to the AIs and then they have sexed calves, which means more heifers coming in. That's really what I look at as as little wins. For me, I'm really, really conscientious about the cell count of the milk, so the quality, and if I can keep it, if we can keep it under about 70 that for me is a huge win so getting that we get a milk text every day or every couple of days that tells us the quality of the milk and the cell count and butterfat and protein that sort of thing and for me I I just look at the cell count that's pretty much all I look at and when it's really low that for me is like yes we're, we're doing it right we're doing a good job it means that we're training our staff well they're doing the right things they're following instructions they're doing the right things and that that's a win that it's a tiny little thing and it doesn't even contribute to the income ultimately but it means that the health of the herd is where it should be and the quality of the milk is the best it can be. Matt and Emily have also employed an agricultural consultant who they say has been invaluable. I think the main thing we've done in this year is to call and say we're really we're in this situation and we're not sure how to handle it done this and we've done this and we've done this what else would you recommend what what can we do to stop the cows being so lame or to get some grass in the paddocks when we can't drive on the paddocks or what what else can we do and just having that person at the other end of the phone that goes yeah you've done all the right things maybe try this or maybe try that best thing we ever did was pull in a consultant and we still use the same person and we did it in the middle of the drought and we thought well we need some help and I always say that it saved our business because you know having that third party who's not like in the 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 dark depression of we can't feed our cows what are we going to do who who says let's look at what we can do with this amount of money can we just buy hay but buy better hay and out of the box ideas too like I remember him saying to me, you're going to have to buy hay. And I said, we can't afford hay. And he said, well, if you don't buy hay, you're not going to have a business. And he said, you know, middle of the drought, we're feeding hay. He said, these cows that are, you know, they're big cows, they're fresh cows. You need to be feeding them 12 kilos of grain a day. And I said, we can't do that. That'll break us financially. That will break us. We can't afford that. And he said, well, I suggest that, that that is what you do. And we did it. And, and that's what got us through the drought. You know, without that person saying, you know, try this, have a go, probably going to work. This, this is a really good idea. 
We would never have done that sort of thing. The automatic response to lack of income is to lower the grain because grain's the most expensive thing that we use. So if you're feeding less of it, then it's not costing you as much. So yeah, it's a foreign concept to feed them more grain <laughs> when the income's lowered, but it worked and it saved us and it was the best thing we ever did. We don't agree with everything that he says. And over the years, we've learned to just say, you know, it's really good advice, but not, probably not what we're going to do. But the bulk of it, it's like, yep, okay, sure, let's try it. So not only do Emily and Matt run their dairy business whilst also wrangling their two young children, they also opened a farm tour side gig to really drive consumer education of the dairy industry. We started it off the back of the milk price drop. We were in drought and suddenly the milk price fell to 47.6 cents, I think it was. And at the same time, there was that huge unrest in like animal liberation and Animals Australia. It all sort of coincided at the same time. So suddenly as dairy farmers, we were all in fear of people coming onto our property and letting our heifers out or taking videos of things that you shouldn't publicise and things like that. On that, I will say that we run our farm in a way that it wouldn't matter because if there's things that you don't want people to see, then those things should not exist in the first place. So we run our farm so that anyone could come here at any time and it wouldn't matter. But I just thought, you know, we were being bombarded by all this negativity on social media and in the news and, oh, the dairy industry is horrible and dairy farmers are horrible and at the same time we're trying to make money from, you know, a milk price that was below the cost of production. And I thought if this is the case, it's because people don't actually know or understand what we do and why we do it. So that's why I started the program. People just know so little about milk production and it's not really anyone's fault. It's just how it's become because there's a huge gap between the farmer and the consumer. If they were coming to the farm buying their milk and that's where you got milk from or if you bought your milk at a market from the farmer that produced it, that gap wouldn't exist. You don't really think about what's gone into it, where it's come from. You just put it in your trolley and onto the next item. So that's what I've been trying to change just through connection. And people walk away with that extra value in their minds of milk is actually worth more than a dollar a litre because these guys bust their guts from 4.30 in the morning to make it. I do the bulk of my advertising on Facebook. I've learned over the years that you can spend a lot of money on advertising and get nothing from it. And I think paper media is very outdated now and you can advertise very, very well on Facebook for nothing. So that's what I do. It can't cost me anything to market the program because as soon as it's costing you money, you know, it's money you spend before you've got money coming in and that doesn't make much sense to me. These guys have clearly had to hustle, leasing a farm, sourcing a herd, buying equipment and learning as they went. And while it's not easy, this is their advice for how to lease a farm property. I think that just the ridiculous increase in property values, particularly along the coastal strip, just in the last two years, has made it, well, you know, it, to, to buy a farm and pay it off purely with the proceeds of what you're farming, I think's near impossible now within that 
Especially starting out. So I think there's probably still areas where the opportunity is there to work your way into it, but it's certainly getting more and more difficult. It's hard to find lease properties is the challenge because when people retire, you can get so much from selling your property. So why would you lease it out? And then have the possible downfall of someone not running it properly or not turning a profit or going bankrupt and leaving you with a mess to clean up. And properties are people's life. So the idea of just stepping away and letting someone else run it is really, really hard. So yeah, finding a property, we've just been so lucky to find the ones that we have, but we looked for months and months. We probably looked for 12 months before we found this one and it was just luck that we came upon it. So I don't know, when we were looking, I I know I rang a lot of people that had their properties up for sale and said, look, would you consider leasing it? And I think that's a really important question to ask, especially with a dairy farm. A lot of the time, The owners, they don't want to sell, but they think, well, I can't do it myself and my kids don't want it. So what am I going to do with it? I have to maintain it. I have to pay for different things. I have to run something on it. And, you know, the first property we leased, the owners were just so happy to see us turning it or changing it from a beef property that, you know, was overrun by cooch into something that was green and productive and the cows looked great and And they loved having black and white cows back on their property. It was reminiscent of what it had been like years before. And that was really fulfilling for them. So I think, you know, if you see someone giving up or struggling, it doesn't hurt to ask the question, would you consider leasing your property? Would you consider leasing your cows? I think lots of people haven't even considered it but there's yeah it's very risky for a lot of people we know someone who begged us to lease their property for years and we just we never in a position to do it and we didn't want to move and when we were it wasn't really big enough for the next step for us I remember saying to him you know I've got these friends they really want to start a dairy I could connect you with them and and I remember him saying no it has to be you guys there's just that fear of you know what if it doesn't work I don't know them what if they're not good at what they do what if it goes backwards all this hard work I've put into this property to get it where it is now what if they undo it there's a lot of fear but there's people out there that just need to go you know they might make mistakes but ultimately given a decent go they'll be successful and if they could do it all again what would these guys do differently i think my advice to anybody wanting to start their own business would be just be prepared to at least talk to a consultant in some capacity. As I've said before, it's just so good to have that second set of eyes that's sort of unbiased, if you like. And I think that's probably the one thing I would have done differently from the start if we could do it again. I guess the other thing I would say is take a good holiday before you start because it might be a while before you get another one. Mine would be get a couple of years experience under your belt working for different people and have an attitude of I'm always learning. The best way to do it is to work your way up from the bottom so that you get familiar with every role and every level of management. But I think if you have your goals in sight and you just focus on them and figure out ways to go about reaching them, I think there's there's just so much potential and so much opportunity for whatever you want to do. And it doesn't have to be farm ownership and it doesn't have to be leasing a farm, but if that's what you want to do, there's ways to do it. If we can get through like one in 100 year floods and the worst drought ever seen in the Hunter and everything that we've had in the first seven years of business and still turn a profit, it's not because we're making loads of money. (laughs) It's just because 
If you're willing to put in the hard work and be a bit clever and, and sensible, there's a living to be made. Yeah, and I think there's opportunity. Just chase your opportunity. A big thanks to Emily and Matt Nielsen for sharing their story in this episode. All episodes of Season 4 of Propagate are out now. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. Propagate is a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and an initiative by the Young Farmer Business Programme.